Welcome to the Master of None podcast, adventures in a hands-on life. Build, grow, cook, train, explore. Recently, I've been getting a lot of questions about knives. So I thought, maybe let's just go ahead and do an episode all about knives. And even though this is not strictly speaking like a listener Q&A episode, in the course of the episode, I'm going to try to address a lot of the questions that I've gotten recently about knives. So where we're kind of headed is we're going to talk about some types of knives and the tasks that those knives are suited for or designed for. We're going to talk about some knife terminology, so if you're out shopping for a knife or even like reading the specifications or description of a knife, you know what some of these words mean so that you know what they're talking about. We're going to talk about some some steels when it comes to the steel that's used for making a knife blade, what you need to know about that. We're going to talk about some knife care, mostly sharpening, and how to do that yourself, and actually why you should be doing that yourself. And also some of my knives, kind of some, uh, you call it a review. I've got a whole pile of knives here that we can kind of take a look at one at a time, talk about what the knife is for, um, what it looks like, how I use it, what I like about it, maybe what I don't like about it, and kind of compare some of the knives to each other. So that's kind of where we're headed. And like I said, in the course of this episode, I'm going to try to address a lot of the questions that I've gotten recently about knives. So I think one of the most important concepts to understand if you're maybe finding yourself in the market for a knife and you're just not not sure where to start is that knives are tools that are designed for specific tasks and they can be very very different from each other so a knife that's designed for one task might might work really well for that but might be completely useless when it comes to another task and similarly that other knife that's designed for that other task might be really good at its job, but it's completely useless when it comes to that first job. So as an example, I have two of my knives sitting here that honestly on the surface might appear to be similar. Let me go ahead and pull them both out. I'll set this one here. I'm going to set the sheath aside. Let me pull the second one out. It's also in a sheath, so as far as that goes, both knives are, have a sheath. They both have blades that are, oh, I'm going to say six to seven inches long. Uh, the handles are like a full hand width, so the handles are basically the same size. They both have rubber over-molded handles, so with kind of a checked pattern on them. So even if these knives got wet or something like that, it's still you're still going to be able to get a good grip on the knife. And, oh, what else? Well, they both have a little teeny hole for some sort of lanyard all the way back at the back end of the handle. So 
So they might seem, oh, and yep, surprise, they're both razor sharp. So, so far they seem like they're nearly identical knives as I describe them. Um, similar weight too. Uh, this one in my right hand is a little heavier than the one in my left hand, but not too dissimilar in overall weight. So what makes these two knives so different? Well, one of them is a fillet knife for filleting fish. And the other one is what I would consider like a camp knife or bushcraft knife. Now the major difference, despite all of their similarities, the major difference between these two knives is the thickness and stiffness of the blade. And they have some other differences too when it comes to the, the bevel grinding on the blades. But the main difference is the thickness and stiffness of that blade. Now, one of these being designed for filleting fish. Let me set the camp knife down here. So I just have my fillet knife in my hand. Now, the blade of the fillet knife is thin enough that it's actually very flexible. I can just grab it between my thumb and forefinger and actually bend that blade. It's actually that flexible. And then it springs, springs right back to its original shape. I'm not damaging the blade at all by bending it. And like I said, the blade itself is very thin too. When you're filleting a fish, the idea, basically what you're doing is you're trying to run your knife right between the skin of the fish and the meat of the fish so that they come apart in two separate pieces and you have the skin with no meat left on it and the meat with no skin left on it. And if you know what you're doing, a fillet knife does a very good job of performing that task. Now, let's say that I wanted to, let's say I'm in camp and I need to start a fire and so I need to split some little kindling. I'm gonna split some sticks down into smaller pieces to use for kindling to start my fire. Well, this fillet knife is not the knife to use for that. One of the techniques that I use for doing that is actually to take the stick, set it vertically down on the ground, put the blade of the knife on the top end, and then whack the knife with like another stick or something. And that's actually a really effective way to split down some, some sticks into smaller pieces to help start a fire. Now, if I go doing that with my fillet knife, several things could possibly happen. Um, I could actually injure myself because the fillet knife blade could could break so I might break my knife and stab my hand with it um the the actual edge is not designed to take a beating like that so I could actually chip the edge of my knife um I could actually bend the blade and it's just not going to do a good job it doesn't have the weight to even if I don't damage the knife, it doesn't have the weight to carry itself down through that wood and split it apart. Now, a camp knife on the other hand, let me switch knives real quick here. So I set my fillet knife down. Now I have my camp knife in my hand. Now this knife has a very, very thick, stiff blade. You cannot grab this blade in your between your fingers and bend it. It's much, much thicker which means that it's sturdy enough that I can take this knife and whack the back edge of the blade with another stick or something and actually use it for splitting wood. So, I mean, the blade on this one, 
It's practically thick enough. I could use it like as a crowbar to pry something open if I needed to. So you can kind of see why these two different knives are just designed for two totally different purposes. And actually along those same lines, that does not mean that the camp knife is a better knife. If my task is to fillet a fish and all I have is my camp knife, I'll probably be able to get it done, but it's not going to be nearly as pretty as if I had my fillet knife. Just because this knife is not designed for that job. So, like I said, this is one of the most important concepts to understand is that if somebody tells you that a knife is a knife and you can use it for just all around use, that's just not true. You need to figure out what you're going to be doing with the knife and get a knife that's designed appropriately. So let's actually talk about some specific knives, not specific knives, some types of knives that are designed for specific tasks. So starting with what I would consider maybe hyper-specialty knives. So this would be things like linoleum cutting knives, and that's really all that you use it for, or a hook knife, which is, actually has a blade that's kind of curved to the side in like a hook shape that you use for carving uh, wooden bowls, wooden spoons, things like that, where you have that, where you need to carve out that concave shape in the bowl or spoon, and that hook knife allows you to get in there and and carve out that concave shape. Uh, there's a knife called a fish taxidermy knife that's kind of weird looking. It has a big round end and it's it appears to be serrated, but it's actually not that sharp. And this particular knife is used only for fish taxidermy, for working with the, the skin of a fish. A, a fleshing knife, we've talked about those before in some of our hide tanning episodes, are... And that's basically a fairly dull knife with a handle at both ends that you use for scraping the flesh off of a off of an animal's hide before you tan the hide. What else? Um, those are yeah, those are some examples of like hyper specialized knives that are really only for one very specific task. Uh, kitchen knives. Now, kitchen knives. This could be another whole episode just on its own. So we're going to kind of skip over most of the kitchen knife stuff, but uh, kitchen knives are usually going to come in a set where you're going to have something like a paring knife, a boning knife, a chef's knife, maybe a butcher knife, maybe a cleaver, um, and maybe a Santoku knife. And those will all come in a set of kitchen knives. Uh, wood carving. There are knives designed specifically for wood carving, um, so for example, I'm not going to use, if I need to do some wood carving, I'm not going to use either that fillet knife or my camp knife. They're just not going to be good knives for doing that carving job. Um, camping. Now here's where I'm going to use my camp knife. And, and what are you actually doing with a camping knife? Well, probably splitting kindling, cutting rope, maybe cutting food, and chances are you're going to be outdoors, so you need something that's going to be durable outdoors, not something that's designed for looking nice, although that's fine too, but something that's really designed for function. So that could be this camp knife that we talked about before. Um, a hunting knife. Now, I'm, honestly, I'm not entirely sure what a hunting knife is. So 
what am I doing with a knife while I'm hunting? Well, I'm either probably using it as a camp knife, which is what we just talked about, or I'm actually skinning an animal, in which case I need a skinning knife. So I would not differentiate between a hunting knife. I actually don't usually even use the term hunting knife because while hunting, I'm either using a camp knife or a skinning knife which are completely different from each other. Again, I'm not going to use this relatively large, heavy, thick-bladed camp knife that I might use for splitting firewood. I'm not going to use that for skinning an animal. In fact, my, my skinning knife that I use most of the time actually surprises people how small it is. So I just pulled it out, and this is my skinning knife that I probably use almost all the time. Um, anyway, it only has about a two and a half inch blade in the blade length, very, very small knife. And, and this is what I'll use to skin basically any animal, even a large animal. I don't use a larger knife on a larger animal. I just use this relatively small little skinning knife. Now, technically this is a caping knife. Maybe we'll talk about the difference between a skinning knife and a caping knife later, but I actually prefer a caping knife over a traditional skinning knife. All right, what's next? Um, fishing. How about a fishing knife? Well, again, same as before. Ask yourself, what tasks are you actually using the knife for? Because you're not catching fish with the fishing knife. Are we talking about cutting fishing line? In which case, I'm probably just going to use the the small pocket folding knife that I have on me almost all the time. If all I need to do is cut some fishing line, I'll just pull that out of my pocket, open it up, cut the fishing line, fold it back up and put it back in my pocket. So is that the task or are we also camping while fishing? In which case I need my camp knife or am I filleting the fish after we've caught the fish? In which case I need my fillet knife. And along those same lines, what size of fish am I anticipating having to fillet? And maybe if there's going to be a whole variety, maybe I need both of my fillet knives, which I actually just pulled out. And these two fillet knives are actually very different, despite being the same. Um, Now, they both have that thin, relatively thin, flexible blade. But uh, the smaller one, this is the one that I had out before. Like I said, it has about a seven inch blade and it actually has a relatively straight blade, has just a slight backward curve to it. Let me put that one away. Now, I have filleted very large fish with that knife, but if I'm filleting very large fish, I actually prefer, hang on, my larger fillet knife. Now this is completely unlike skinning a larger animal where I'm going to use exactly the same skinning knife, whether it's a rabbit or an elk. With larger fish, I, I actually do prefer a much larger fillet knife. So here's my larger fillet knife. And this one has, I think it's about a nine and a half inch blade. Uh, so it doesn't sound that much longer than the seven inch one, but trust me, that makes a big difference. It has a little more of a curve to it, uh, which I also like on larger fish. And it actually has these hollow ground divots to help break the like the suction between 
the blade and the fillet so that the the skin and the fillet don't stick to the knife as much so so that's actually if you see a knife and it has kind of these oval shaped little divots in the blade right behind the edge that's the function of those is to break that suction between whatever it is that you're cutting and the blade of the knife so um now if i had to fillet a very small fish this larger knife would actually make it more difficult. So, so it'd be better off having that smaller one if I have to fillet small fish. Maybe, maybe what you're going to be doing with your knife is just that, maybe we call it everyday use of opening packaging, opening a box that you get delivered, opening letters. So you're maybe even using it as a letter opener. Uh, pulling splinters. It's actually... I find a really effective way to pull a splinter is not using the blade for its cutting ability, but actually sliding, because you know how when you get a splinter, it's usually laying like on the surface of your skin and then it jabs in. Well, I like to slide the blade just under that exposed part of the splinter, pin it down to the blade with my thumb, and then pull it straight out. And I just find that that's a really effective way to pull splinters, cactus spines, anything like that. Um, that's just me. That's the way that I do it. Anyway, if, if that's what you're going to use the knife for, I'm probably going to recommend just a basic folding pocket knife of some sort. Um, maybe you're going scuba diving and you need a dive knife. There are certain design aspects to a dive knife that make it specifically suited to the things that you would need to do while scuba diving, namely like self-rescue or maybe prying something open um, or cutting cutting a rope that's somehow gotten wound around your arm or leg. Anyway, um, dive knives are specifically designed for those tasks. And then they also have other design aspects that make them more maybe more corrosion resistant um, or even the way that they're stored so that water can drain out of the sheath easily. And anyway, oh, I'm going to put this one away. Uh, usually they're also designed so that you can easily get them out with, with one hand because uh, typically you're going to wear it down on your calf. So you need to be able to reach down and pull it out with one hand, but you also want it in there very securely. So, if you're doing scuba diving, you would get a dive knife that's specifically designed for diving. So maybe you're going to be doing some sailing or boating. Now, what is it that you need a knife for while sailing or boating? Well, there's always the emergency of needing to cut a rope. And uh, personally, if I have to cut a rope, hang on, I just pulled my sailing knife out. If I need to cut a rope quickly, I actually prefer a serrated blade. I find that it just does a better job of being able to hack through that rope if I need to cut it quickly. Now, uh, you may also be doing some other rope work, splices, fancy rope work, things like that. And a marlin spike is one of the critical tools for that type of work. So my sailing knife actually has a sheep's foot blade that's half serrated and half plain edge blade. And on the other side, it has a marlin spike that folds out like that. 
So I have the blade on one end, the Marlin spike on the other end. You can fold out either one, depending on which one you need. And then the blade also has this specially designed little slot cut out in it that's really handy. Sometimes when sailing, you need to turn a little pin that's maybe rusted shut or something. And the little slot in the blade ends up being just perfect for sliding over a little pin, giving it a, a crank to pop it loose. Let me fold this one back up. So those are just a few examples of specific knives that are designed for specific activities or tasks. So really what I was going for there is just to show you that there's no one knife to do all of the jobs of a knife. However, if you're just going to get one knife and you're not sure what you're going to need to use it for, I'm going to go back to what we called that everyday use knife of opening packaging, opening boxes, opening letters, things like that, and probably just a simple single-bladed folding pocket knife is your best bet there. All right, next let's talk about some knife terminology. Now, little disclaimer here, if any of you are really knife people, you might be think after you listen to my knife terminology lesson, you might be thinking, oh, you skipped this or that term. You should have mentioned this. This is by no means an exhaustive list of all of the terminology or parts of a knife. This is what I would consider are the most important terms to be aware of and familiar with when you're maybe shopping for a knife and you need to read some specifications so you'll know what they're actually talking about. So um, I pulled out my, my camp knife again because I think that my camp knife, as I, I, I'd rather hold something in my hand while I'm talking to you about it so, I, so that I have a little visual, even though you don't. And yeah, I think my camp knife demonstrates most, if not all, of the terms that we're going to talk about. So what's first? The blade. Now, the blade of the knife is not just the sharp edge. The blade of the knife is that entire piece of steel, or maybe we're back in the Bronze Age, and it's a piece of bronze, that entire piece of metal, or stone for that matter, for in the Stone Age, that entire piece that is attached to the handle is called the blade. The edge, now the edge is one side of the blade, or I suppose if you have a blade that has a double edge, then it's going to be both sides, but most knives just have a single sharpened edge, so so that sharp part is the edge. Now when, when somebody's talking about blade length, typically they're actually talking about the edge length. Now maybe we're splitting hairs a little bit here, but... If you if you're reading the specs on a knife and it says and it says blade length, so for example that caping knife that I had in my hand earlier that I said has about a two and a half inch blade, what I was actually talking about there is it has about a two and a half inch edge. The entire length of the blade is significantly longer, but the back portion is not actually sharpened. So that's just something to be aware of. Um, the belly. Of the knife. So when you look at most knife blades, the part of the blade or edge 
that's closer to the handle is usually fairly straight. It's going to continue straight for a little ways and then and then curve back toward the point. Now, that curved portion is called the belly. Now, not all blades have a belly. For example, I was talking about my sailing knife, how it has something called a sheep's foot blade, which is actually a straight edge, and the curved part is actually on the back, or our next term, spine. So the spine of the blade is the back unsharpened portion, the back unsharpened edge of the blade is called the spine. So on some on some blade designs, your your curve is going to be on the spine instead of on the blade. Um, but when you have that curve out toward the the end of the blade, that's called the belly. What what else? Uh, the point. This may seem intuitive or obvious. The point is the very end of the blade where it typically comes to some sort of point. Now, there are all sorts of different designs of different shapes of blades, different shapes of points that you might hear. We're not going to go through all of them, but you might hear like drop point, clip point, tonto point. Those are all different designs for for how the how the blade terminates at the end. And, and different designs kind of have different functions. The next term that you might hear is bevel. Now, when you hear the word bevel in relation to knives, what I want you to think about is if you cut through the blade, straight across the blade, and then looked at it, you looked at that cut end, you're looking at the cross-section of the blade. That cross-sectional shape is what I want you to think about when you hear the term bevel, because you might hear about a hollow ground bevel. You might hear about a straight ground bevel, a flat ground bevel. You might hear about a convex bevel. Now those those all have to do with the shape, that cross-sectional shape of the blade itself. And many knives, so I'm looking at my camp knife here, many knives are designed where they're actually ground with multiple bevels to get the overall shape that you want. Um, you might even hear the term spine bevel, which means that the spine of the knife, remember that's that back unsharpened edge of the blade, where the spine is actually ground down so that it's not even the thickest part of the blade. There could be different reasons for doing that. Maybe, um, maybe to reduce weight, or on some knives, especially kitchen knives that are designed for slicing through things, maybe slicing through meat, having that spine bevel actually allows the allows the knife to move more easily through something that you're cutting through. So, um, like I said, bevel. Just think about the cross-sectional shape of the knife when you hear that term bevel. Next, we have the handle, which is essentially the part of the knife that is designed to be grabbed by your hand. It's the part that you hold on to. So, that's the handle. If you wanted to break a knife into two basic parts, we have a blade and a handle. Now, that handle, you may also, when it comes to folding knives, you may also hear the term frame. So the frame of a folding knife is the part that becomes the essentially the handle when it's unfolded, and it's the part that contains the blade when it's folded up for, for storage. 
Now, of course, there are different types of handles. Handles can be made out of any number of materials. They could be metal, just like the blade. Um, they could be, like I have my camp knife here. This is over-molded rubber, so it's actually a, a rubber piece that's molded over a another handle piece. You could have um, wood handles. You could have antler handles. You could have horn handles, bone, any sort of plastic, any number of materials can be used for making the handle of a knife. Um, I talked about the frame. Oh, along those same lines, if you, if you hear the term scales, that's also a term that may be used to talk about a portion of the handle. And on a folding knife, typically, if somebody talks about it having scales, you have your frame... And then outside the frame, you might have some other pieces that are designed either for giving the knife a certain look or providing a better grip when you're actually using the knife. And th those just fit right onto the outside of the frame. They could be screwed on. They could be glued on with some sort of adhesive. But if you hear somebody say scales, that's what they're usually talking about. What else? Um... Let's talk about the edge again. Two basic edge styles are either a plain edge, which is basically just a smooth, straight edge, or curved, but it's smooth, versus a serrated edge, which is essentially an edge that has teeth in it. Um, for most of my knives, I prefer a plain edge, but like I said, there are certain times when that serrated edge just really comes in handy, like for cutting through rope or something like that. Um, some people really prefer the serrated edge. It can largely just be personal preference or what you use the knife for most. Now, the tang. This is an important term to understand. The tang is the part of the blade that fits into the handle. So this is is the part that actually creates that solid joint between the handle and the blade. So on, on just about any knife, there's going to be at least a small portion of blade, not sharpened blade, but a small portion of the blade that goes into the handle. Now, if you hear the term full tang, that means that there's actually a relatively large portion of the blade that goes into the handle because a full tang blade actually goes all the way through the handle to the very, very back of the handle. So when you wrap your hand around the handle of that knife, you're actually grabbing around that entire tang, and that's one piece going from the tip of the knife, from the tip of the blade, all the way to the back of the handle. Now the main advantage there is that is the strongest design for a knife. That is the, the most solid way to attach a handle to a blade is just to have the blade go all the way through the handle with that full tang. So if I'm talking, if I'm looking for a knife that I'm intending to abuse a little bit, that camp knife, that bushcraft knife that I might actually use for prying something open or splitting firewood or who knows what, I am absolutely going to look for a, a knife with a full tang blade. On the other hand, my fillet knives, my skinning knives, my kitchen knives, anything like that, 
I'm not going to be abusing those. I'm not going to be prying anything open with them. I'm not going to be pounding on them. So in those cases, I don't necessarily need that full tang design. And in fact, some knives, maybe you want a really decorative set of kitchen knives with like staghorn or antler handles. Those designs usually just are not as suited to that, that full tang blade. Also, my everyday folding pocket knife, because of its very nature, because it is a folding knife, it cannot have a full tang design because then it wouldn't really be a folding knife. Or I guess if it did have a full tang design and you folded it up, it wouldn't get any shorter because then you just have the the tang sticking out there as a blade. That doesn't really make sense. Anyway, let's talk about steel real quick and some different steels because as you are reading the specifications on the knife that you're considering purchasing, invariably it's going to say the blade is made from blah 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 steel. And unless you're at least somewhat familiar with blade steels, that's going to mean absolutely nothing to you. So, little disclaimer, I am not an expert on blade steels or steel in general. I, I know a little bit about material science when it comes to steel, but I'm not an expert on this. So, how do I want to describe this to you? Well, let's talk about the ideal blade. Now, I know before I said that there's no ideal knife because it all depends on what you're going to do with it, but what everybody actually wants is the steel for their knife blade that is extremely corrosion resistant, very easy to sharpen, holds that sharp edge throughout all sorts of use and abuse, is flexible, and by flexible I don't mean easy to bend, I mean that when it does bend it doesn't break and it snaps back to its original position, is also tough so that it doesn't crack or chip, it, and on top of that is inexpensive. And now that doesn't actually exist. It's always going to be a compromise between some of those things. So cost aside, let's talk about, let's kind of simplify this to four factors. And those four factors that we're going to talk about are ease of sharpening, edge retention, toughness, and corrosion resistance. Now, the way that I want you to visualize this is I want you to visualize basically an X and a Y axis with the point zero, zero being right in the middle. So we have a vertical line and a horizontal line forming across. And we're going to go along each of those four lines coming out from that center point. We're going to go from zero in the middle to 10 all the way at the furthest extent of that line. And then each of these steels can be rated anywhere from 0 to 10 on each of those four categories. Ease of sharpening, edge retention, toughness, and corrosion resistance. So, basically what we're... The, the ideal steel for a knife would... And, and then what we do, we graph all four of those points, we connect them, and it creates roughly a diamond shape. And... It just helps to visualize, okay, this knife has more of that uh, that toughness aspect, but maybe it's less corrosion resistant 
resistant, or maybe it's very easy to sharpen, but has less of that edge retention or vice versa. It's more difficult to sharpen, but retains the edge very well, which by the way, typically those two are gonna just kind of be a trade-off. If it's very easy to sharpen, we're talking about a, a softer steel and it's not going to retain its edge. And if it's really good at retaining its edge, we're talking about a harder steel and it's gonna be more difficult to sharpen. So those are kind of a trade-off. So on this, on this graph that we're making with these four categories, the ideal knife blade is gonna be a 10 out of 10 on each of those four categories and is gonna create a diamond shape that goes all the way out to the ends of those four lines. Now, surprise, surprise, that does not actually exist. No matter how much you want to pay for it, it just doesn't exist. So we're gonna have some trade-offs, but in general, when you draw that diamond shape, the larger your diamond is, the better. But we also have to keep in mind which of these aspects are more important based on the based on what we're planning on using the knife for. If if you want something that's really easy to sharpen, you can get that, but you're going to have to sacrifice some of these other aspects. Personally, I would prefer a knife that retains its edge better, even if it is a little more difficult to sharpen. So without going into too much of the detail on the material science or metallurgy, what I want you to think about is just be aware that the properties of the steel that we're making our blade out of are basically the result of the alloy which is the proportions of metals mixed together to create the steel, the forging process, heat treatments, finishing, and coating. So those are kind of the factors that play into how the knife scores on those four categories. Now, um, let me just give you two examples of steel that you might run into. You might run into a blade that says this is 440C or 440C. Now that's, that's a very common, what I would call budget steel. There's nothing wrong with it, but there are steels out there that are much, much better for knives. Now I have a lot of knives that are made out of 440C steel and, and they work just fine. So don't think, oh, it's no good. It's just fine, but it doesn't score as well on those four categories as some of what we might consider premium steels. Like you might see a steel that's CPM 20 CV. Now a steel like that is really a premium knife steel. It scores higher in corrosion resistance, much higher in edge retention than that 440C, higher in toughness than the 440C, but is much more difficult to sharpen. On the ease of sharpening, I think the the CPM 20CV scores like a 2 out of 10, and 440C, I don't know, it might be like a, a 6 out of 10. So um, anyway, higher quality knife, but more difficult to sharpen. So just be aware, those those sets, I guess the important thing for you to know is those sets of numbers and letters that you see describing the steel, you can actually look up the properties of that specific steel. Now, where does this steel property thing break down? Well, there's something called Damascus steel, 
which can be awesome or can be total junk because just be aware with Damascus steel, there's no actual set industry standard saying this is Damascus steel. Now, Damascus steel, typically that's the stuff that you see that has like kind of wavy lines running through it because traditionally it's forged by folding the metal over and over and over onto itself to create all these layers in the metal. It can be awesome. It can be no better than anything else, just depending on how it's forged. Also, because there's no industry standard for defining something as Damascus steel, there are knife manufacturers out there that will actually just etch those wavy lines into a blade on a much on a much cheaper steel blade after it's already been forged and manufactured and they might market it as Damascus steel even though that folding process never even happened as part of the forging process so like i said this is just something to be aware of when it comes to choosing your knife blades let's talk about sharpening knives because having something sharp is the entire purpose of having a knife if you don't need something sharp for the job you don't need a knife for the job so if you're going to have a knife you need to keep it sharp and learn how to do that properly so a couple tips also i would say a sharp knife people might be scared of having a knife that's really sharp they might think oh i'm more likely to cut myself with a sharp knife actually no you're more likely to cut yourself with a dull knife because a sharp knife does its job slices right through whatever it is that you need to cut whereas a dull knife you have to put a lot more pressure on it you're more likely to slip you're more likely to really have to bear down on that knife so in general sharp knives are much much safer to use couple tips on keeping your knives sharp never put a knife in the dishwasher just just don't a sharp knife anyway you can put your table knives in the dishwasher but any knife that's intended to actually be sharp don't put it in the dishwasher you will you will ruin it it won't stay sharp uh things get rattled around in there and can ding the blade and put a little little dent little nick in your blade because keep in mind that that sharp edge of the blade is a very very thin edge that's one of the things that makes it sharp is how thin it is so that inherently makes it kind of fragile too you don't want stuff dinging into it in a dishwasher also depending on the type of uh, dish detergent that you're using a lot of the the super hot water and the abrasive dish detergent can actually that alone can actually dull that razor sharp edge what else um oh when you are cutting with any knife always cut onto a surface that will give a little bit under under the blade so you're going to want to cut onto a wood cutting board some sort of plastic cutting board anything like that never cut onto glass or stone or any hard surfaces like those because those will dull or even a ceramic plate if you're cutting down onto a ceramic plate with a sharpened knife that's just about the fastest way you can possibly dull your knife now sometimes people ask me what about knives especially kitchen knives that when you purchase them 
the purchase of the knife comes with free factory sharpening and all you have to do is send it back to the factory and they'll bring it right back to being factory sharp and ship it back to you. Personally, I stay away from those because the main reason being that the very first thing that I do with a knife that's brand new from the factory is to sharpen it because every single knife that I own is actually sharper than it was when I bought it factory new. And with the right tools, the right techniques, this is not difficult to do, does not take any huge amount of strength, does not take a huge amount of time. In fact, I can sharpen a knife faster than I could package the knife to send it to the factory. So let's talk a little bit about my sharpening tools, and then I'm going to run you through kind of my my technique for sharpening knives. And maybe if you've struggled with getting your knives sharp in the past, maybe something that I say is going to jump out to you. You'd be like, oh, I was doing that part wrong before. I'm going to try it again and see how it works. So um, first tool that I have here, and this is something that I carry in my backpack on hunting trips, on backcountry trips, and it's kind of a little, little thing that can fit in your palm. It's made out of plastic and rubber, but it has two notches in it that have these little ceramic pieces. And the ceramic pieces are basically set in a V. One says coarse, one says fine. And basically the idea with this little guy is you can take a dull knife, set it down in that notch, and just draw it right through the notch to sharpen the knife. This actually does a pretty decent job of sharpening a knife, but I I actually only use it for touching up a dull knife in the field. I'm never going to use this as my primary knife sharpening method because uh, I can get my knives way sharpener by going way sharper by going through the actual full sharpening process at home. Like I said, this is just something that I carry with me in my backpack, so maybe maybe I've used the knife a bunch around camp and it's a a longer backcountry trip, I can touch the knife up, or maybe it's a hunting trip and we're skinning out and butchering a larger animal. And after all of that cutting, the knife has just lost that fine edge. I can just touch it up a little on this little device. This one's from, oh, I should also mention none, none of the brands that I'm mentioning. This is not an endorsement for any of those brands. I'm just telling you what I have. Uh, this one's from Sharp and easy. So yeah, a little, just a little tool, very lightweight, very small, totally worth it on, on any sort of backcountry trip in my mind. This one actually works really well on fillet knives too. So maybe you're on a fishing trip, you have your fillet knife with you, you're planning on filleting some of your fish, maybe you're camping and fishing. And so you're, you're going to fillet a bunch of fish and then you need to be able to touch your knife up. Like I said, all you do is take take the knife blade, starting at the back end of the blade, next to the handle, set it down in that notch, and then just gently draw it through that notch all the way to the tip, just like this. And very quickly, after just a few strokes, it's going to put that nice sharp edge back on that knife. And like I said, it's never going to be as sharp as I can get it at home, but for just a little touch-up, I find that it works really well. Okay, so let's talk about kind of my knife sharpening process at home. Now, the very first thing that I'm going to do when I pick up a knife to sharpen it 
is I'm going to feel the blade. And this is going to do a couple things. Now, when you're doing this, be very careful. Um, but if you, if you drag your thumb across the blade, as long as you're dragging it perpendicular to the blade, not parallel to the blade, you're not going to cut yourself. Be careful doing this. Don't cut yourself. But I need to feel the sharpness of the blade. And that's going to give me some idea how dull it is. Does it just need a little fine touch-up or does it need a lot of work? And that's actually going to tell me whether I'm going to start with a finer stone, just for touching it up, putting that razor edge back on it, or if it actually needs a lot more sharpening work, or if it's actually damaged and actually needs to be repaired. And then I might go all the way down to like a coarse diamond sharpening stone. Now, uh, like I said, I'm going to feel the blade by running my thumb across the edge, not parallel to it, but across perpendicular to the edge. And I'm going to run it both directions across the edge. And a little pointer, if you feel across the blade, across the edge of the blade, and it feels sharp in one direction, but not in the other direction, you're probably dealing with a rolled edge. So on on a very tiny, like microscopic level, what's happened is instead of instead of that metal coming to a sharp edge, it's come to that fine sharp edge, and then that thin edge has actually rolled over to one side or the other. And that's what causes it to feel sharp in one direction and not the other. If that's the case, you may need to have professional repair done on your knife if it's really bad. If it's not quite as bad, sometimes you can fix that with a little bit of patience and use of a, a diamond sharpening stone. Now, little pointer, if you do use a diamond sharpening stone, do not put any pressure whatsoever against that sharpening stone because if you do, the the diamonds are actually gonna bite, that diamond grit is actually gonna bite into the steel of the knife and get pulled out of the sharpening stone. You'll just ruin your diamond sharpening stones after a couple passes. So don't put any pressure on it. Just use the weight of the knife itself as you guide it down those diamond sharpening stones. So how about our actual sharpening process? I have a knife here in, in my hand, which is razor sharp, but we're gonna pretend like it's not. And it's a pocket-sized fixed blade knife from Shrada. And like I said, it is already sharp, but we're just going to pretend like it's not. Like I'm going through this whole sharpening process. Now my knife sharpening kit is the Triangle Sharp Maker from Spyderco. There are lots of good knife sharpening kits out there. This is just the one that I personally like the best and the one that I use. Now, if you're picking out a knife sharpening kit, one important thing that, in my opinion, distinguishes ones that work really well from ones that don't, make sure that your knife sharpener allows you to alternate strokes from one side of the blade to the other. Because if you have a knife sharpener that claims to sharpen one side of the edge and then the other side of the edge without those alternating strokes, that's actually how you end up with that rolled edge on the blade. So this is actually a very, very simple process. I also have a set of diamond stones for the same sharpener, but we're gonna just forego that for the moment. So aside from the diamond stones, I have two sets of stones. There's a coarse stone that's a gray color and a fine stone that's a white color. 
It also has little brass hand guards. You should always use those. I also recommend setting the entire sharpener on a cutting board so that if you slip off, especially maybe you have granite countertops or something like that, definitely use a cutting board so that if you slip off of the sharpener, you're not slamming the blade of your knife down into that granite countertop and wrecking up your blade. If you do slip off, it just hits that wood or plastic cutting board and does no damage whatsoever. Now, the the stones that come with this particular sharpening kit have a triangular cross-sectional profile. So we're basically going to go through four steps on each knife. And if you're doing a bunch of knives the way that I do it, as I do step one on all of the knives, and then I switch the stones out and do step two on all of the knives. Anyway, we start with the coarse stones and sharpening against the points of the triangles. And then we move to the fines. Well, then we rotate the stones and we use the coarse stone sharpening against the flat of the triangle. And then the fine stone against the point of the triangle. And then the fine stone against the flat of the triangle. So that works through four progressively finer stages of sharpening the knife. And what's actually going on there on like a microscopic level is those stones are basically grinding little tiny microscopic teeth into the knife, into that edge. And eventually over time, those teeth with use get rounded off, get snapped off, get rolled over. And that's what makes a dull knife blade. When you have all of those teeth nice and new and sharp and standing up and not broken off, not rounded off, not rolled over. That's what makes a sharp knife blade. So when we're sharpening the knife, that's basically what we're doing. It's just putting new teeth right in the edge. Now, little technique here. What I would recommend doing is you need to figure out your start and finish position for the knife. So we're going to start. I always start, well, and really you should start at the back of the edge and then drag along the stone out to the point. Now, as you're doing that, and uh, with this particular sharpening kit, if you hold the knife vertically and you have the stones in their position, it gives you the angle that you need on, on your blade. So we're actually doing several things all at once. It's going to sound a little complicated, but really once you figure it out, it's, it's fairly simple. So like I said, several things at once, we need to draw the knife along that stone from the foot of the blade out to the point of the blade at the same time, pushing down from the, the tip of that sharpening from the top of the sharpening stone toward the bottom of the sharp of the sharpening stone excuse me, sharpening stone, at the same time, changing the angle at which we're holding the knife so that the edge is always perpendicular to the sharpening stone. Now, if we can do all three of those things simultaneously, maintaining downward pressure, we're going to push straight down. Don't try to push into the stone, just push straight down and allow that pressure to guide the knife down the stone. If we can do all of those things at the same time, also alternating left, right, left, right, we're going to end up with a nice sharp blade. So like I said, we start sharpening against the points of the triangles on the coarse stone, side to side, 
Take several strokes, just like that. Now, if you're having to take too many strokes on the same the same coarseness, the same grit of stone, that means you need to back it off one level because it really shouldn't take that many. If you're having to take, I would say, if you're having to take more than 10 strokes per side on a given stone, that's when you, you need to back it off because you started with too fine of a stone. So after sharpening against the points of the triangles on the coarse stone, we just rotate those stones in the holder to the flats of the triangle and do the same thing over again. Pushing straight down, holding the knife from, if you drew a line from the edge through the spine of the knife, that line needs to be totally vertical. So we're holding the knife vertically in that manner, but so in, in that axis, the knife is vertical. It's, we're not letting it rotate from side to side. We're holding it straight, basically straight away from our body. So we're not letting it turn in that axis. Now we are doing some rotation. If you're familiar with ships, it is, it is not rolling. It is not yawing, but it is pitching. A little bit if you're familiar with the motion of ships or boats so um like i said we we are changing the angle of the knife when it comes to the pitch of the boat so that the point where the edge is actually contacting the stone should be perpendicular to the stone itself i hope that makes sense maybe it doesn't it would be easier to show you maybe i should do a video on this portion so i'll do a video about this it'll make it a lot easier to understand but we're now going to take our strokes against the flats of the coarse stones, swap those out. Then we have our fine stones. We start against the points of the fine stones again. Rotate to the flats of the fine stones. Sharpen against the flats of the fine stones for that, that finest finish for those for those teeth and the the fine stones actually create smaller teeth than the coarse stones do so the smaller those teeth are the sharper your knife is also now one finishing touch here let me grab my tool i highly recommend that everybody get something called a honing steel and this needs to be made out of steel don't get a honing rod that's made out of ceramic. It needs to be steel, and it's actually a fairly soft steel. Now, it's basically, it looks like a steel rod that's maybe a foot long with a wooden handle on one end. Hold that handle in your left hand, and you're going to use exactly the same motion along the steel with that knife, and this is the finishing touch. And what, what this does, because it's a relatively soft steel, is without damaging them, it actually grabs those little teeth that we created with the stones and just kind of combs them into a nice straight line and just aligns them, and it, it really just gives you that razor edge. Now, another pointer here, we're not putting any pressure against this steel. We're really just using the weight of the knife as we guide that edge along the honing steel very, very lightly. This is not some big clattery thing. In fact, a lot of people 
think that the way that you use one of these is you go clatter, clatter, clatter. I, I'm not even going to do that with this knife to demonstrate that you're actually like kind of striking the knife along this honing steel. When you see professional chefs doing that, they're doing it mostly for show. And if you watch really closely, any of them who actually know what they're doing with the honing steel, if they're doing that big flashy knife sharpening thing, like maybe they're, I don't know, fixing your sushi or whatever, they're actually hitting the spine of the knife to that sharpening steel, to that honing steel, not the edge. They would never treat the edge of their razor sharp chef's knife like that. So very lightly, relatively slowly, just draw that knife edge right along that honing steel. Like I said, that's going to put that final razor sharp edge on it, basically acting as a comb for those, those teeth that we've created in the in the edge of that knife and it just kind of sweeps them into nice perfect alignment and that's what that's what gives you that super super sharp edge and that technique going through those steps with quality tools that will absolutely allow you to get any of your knives just as sharp or even sharper than they were when they came from the factory so we've actually talked about in the course of our conversation, several of my knives here. I do want to talk about a few more though, and maybe compare, compare them to each other, talk about some of the pros and cons. Uh, one that I have here that's actually one of my favorite knives is really cool. And it's probably my favorite knife because it was actually my first knife. And it's just a standard small size red Swiss army knife. All it has it has three things that fold out on one side. It has a little tiny pair of scissors on the other side. It has a tiny little knife blade and a tiny little fingernail file with like a screwdriver kind of tip. And then it has these two other little tools that slide out from the frame of the knife. It has a little toothpick and a tiny pair of tweezers that are both still there has a little split ring for a keychain, so you could put it on your keychain if you wanted to. Um, yeah, um, most people call this a Swiss Army knife style. They come in small sizes, large sizes. They come with, you know, two or three tools like this one, up to I think I've seen them that have like sixty tools built in, and all the tools fold out and do different things. They're kind of cool. Um, anyway, that's one style of pocket knife. Now. When it comes to kind of my everyday folding pocket knife, let's talk about three options. I guess they're technically not all folding knives because one of them is the one that we just sharpened, which is a pocket sized fixed blade knife from Shrada. And this one has a full tang blade, has scales on the sides of the blades to on the sides of the tang to create the handle. Is just a very simple but sturdy blade. Now, what's the advantage of a folder versus a fixed blade? Basically, when it folds up, it's about half the size. So, the advantage of the fixed blade, though, is you don't have to open it, you don't have to close it. It's a much sturdier design, um, especially this one with the full tang design. There aren't any, there's no joint in there to malfunction or break. And 
fewer moving parts because it has no moving parts. It's all one piece. Let me set that one aside. Now that said, I do almost always carry at least one pocket folder also. Uh, this particular one that I've been carrying lately I really like. I don't actually know what the model is, but it's a Kershaw. Um, and very easy to sharpen, but holds its edge fairly well. You know, one thing One thing that I should mention is the the steel that's used for a blade does have a big impact on how easy it is to sharpen. But in general, the straighter your edge is on the knife, the less curve you have on that edge, also the easier it's going to be to sharpen. A knife that has a, a more aggressive curve to it like a lot of skinning knives, are actually really difficult to sharpen, as opposed to a straighter edge, which is much easier to sharpen. So, um, yeah, that's just something to keep in mind. And close this one up. And this one has a plain edge down the entire length of the blade. This one, on the other hand, is about the same size and is also a folder. This is from Spyderco, and... The major difference here is this one has a serrated blade, a serrated edge down the entire length of the blade. Um, so depending on personal preference and what you're going to be using it for, you know, if if the main thing that you use your your pocket knife for is cutting open cardboard boxes, honestly, that serrated blade can be really effective at that. If you're using it more for something like uh, cutting parachute cord while you're camping or cutting fishing line, that's when I would really prefer that that plain edge. So, like I said, personal preference, and just like all of our knives, what are you actually using it for? Let me set these aside for now. Another knife option for a lot of people is any sort of multi-tool. There are lots of companies out there that make good multi-tools. Uh, this one is from Leatherman and basically unfolds and the entire thing slides into a nice little leather carrying sheath. This one unfolds into a set of needle nose pliers and then has a ton of little tools built into it that fold out. It has knife blades and saw blades and nail files and a whole variety of screwdrivers and um, bottle opener and what else does it have? Oh, it actually has a a saw blade. Like if you needed to saw through some some wood, you could actually do that with this one. Um, lots of tools built into it. Little wire cutter built into the kind of the back jaw of that needle nose plier, and then the whole thing folds up nice and neatly. Slides into its little leather carrying pouch. So multi tool is absolutely something that I pretty much always have like in my backcountry pack or if I'm hiking because it's just such a convenient way to carry so many little tools. Now if I really need a screwdriver and I'm at home, the ideal tool is a screwdriver, but the advantage of the multi-tool is lightweight so I don't have to carry several screwdrivers and a saw and a knife and all of that different stuff. It all just packs into one nice neat little package and off you go. Let me set that one aside. Okay, 
Um, we already kind of compared my two fillet knives. Uh, let's compare two different camp knives. Now these are not significantly different. They do have a few differences. The main difference is one is my older camp knife and one is my newer camp knife. They're relatively the same size. One has a little bit longer blade. Um, so this one, my older one, which I pull it out, is clearly well-loved. Has a lot of little dings and scrapes and scuffs in it. It's definitely been used. This is from Ontario Knife Company, and it's one of their Spec Plus knives, um, meaning they take uh, military specs or specifications for knives, and then they they build a knife that exceeds all of those minimum specifications for military gear. So this one, very tough knife, and you can absolutely use it for splitting firewood. You can absolutely use it to pry something open. The one thing that I don't particularly care for about this knife is it it's the steel that it's made out of is a very tough steel. Don't get me wrong. It's very tough. You practically use it as a crowbar. However, it does not take an edge. Well, you can't get the thing razor sharp. So you can get it moderately sharp, but the the steel is a type of steel that just does not get that sharp. No matter no matter what you do to it, no matter how much you sharpen it, it's just not designed to be a super sharp knife. Now, my other one on the other hand, let me set this one aside. My other newer camp knife has a little bit shorter blade, uh, still a very thick, sturdy blade. You could absolutely use this to pry something open, but it's a, a much higher end steel. I don't actually know... Yeah, it's not written right on the blade, so I'd have to look up what the steel is, but it's a much higher quality, one of those more premium steels. So the knife is a little more expensive. It's still, still pretty affordable, but more expensive than my Spec Plus knife. And the thing I like about this one is that even though it has a very, very tough, durable blade, you can actually get this one razor sharp. So... Right now, I'm feeling the blade. I could probably actually shave with this one right now. It's that sharp. But the blade is tough enough that I can also flip it over and hammer on the back of it with a mallet or another stick to split some firewood. One other major difference between those two knives, maybe it's a minor difference, my older camp knife, the sheath is made basically of canvas and leather. So the sheath itself doesn't do that great getting soaking wet as opposed to my new camping knife the gerber has a sheath that's made of plastic and the knife kind of clips into it and excuse me <clears throat> and it actually has uh basically a drain built into it so you even if you went swimming with the thing on it's going to drain it's not going to retain that water and cause your blade to rust now uh, I promised you earlier we were going to talk briefly about the difference between a skinning knife and a caping knife. So let me pull those out real quick here. So skinning knife versus caping knife. I have a little set that has both in it and I do use both of them. But honestly, like I said, I do most of my skinning with the caper. Now, 
uh, skinning knife typically is going to have a little more of a belly to it, meaning that the, the edge itself is more curved. The caper is going to still have that curve to it, but a little less of a belly, not, not as much of that belly. So um, the caper is actually easier to sharpen. The skinner takes some skill and practice to sharpen just because it has that deeper belly to it. Now, a lot of skinning knives you see with something that's sometimes called a skinning hook or a gut hook. And it's usually on the back of the blade or along the spine of the blade. It's going to have a little notch and the bottom of that notch is actually sharpened. The idea being that you can use that and basically hook it under the skin of an animal and pull it and it slices the skin open nice and neat. You can absolutely do that. I usually find it's faster just to use with a little bit of practice. I just use my caper and run that under the skin of the animal and it's just as easy. So um, again, this is one of those things that's definitely personal preference, but yeah, that's kind of the difference between those two. One final knife to talk about is my dive knife. Now, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with knives being very specifically designed for the task that you use them for. So my dive knife has a totally plastic sheath with, with drains in it so that because you, you're diving, so you're swimming. So it's in the water and you get out of the water and it easily drains. So it's not holding that moisture next to the blade causing corrosion or anything like that. Um, I pulled it out. Oh, and it, it has rubber straps with buckles. So you actually wear it down on your calf while you're diving. And it's very secure. It actually has a little latch with a button. So to draw it out of the sheath, you actually have to depress that button and then it slides right out. So it's very easy to draw with one hand, but until you actually intend to pull it out of the sheath, it's extremely secure in that sheath. Now, um, what else? It has a plain edge along the entire edge, but the entire spine of the knife, it's actually kind of a double-edged knife because the entire spine of the knife then has a serrated edge. So you can use that plain edge for any regular cutting tasks, but then if you really need to saw through a rope or something, that's when you flip it around and use that back serrated edge. It also has a little notch in it that's that looks very similar to the gut hook on on a skinning knife. And uh, the idea with that notch, though, is you can use that for cutting like a single cord or single piece of string or line or something if it's small enough to fit in that notch. So, yeah, this knife is just uh, designed for anything that you would need a knife for while diving. Um, the primary concern being any sort of self-rescue. If you get tangled up in something underwater, you can use your dive knife to cut yourself free. Hopefully that never happens, but if it does, that's kind of what the knife is primarily designed for. So let me put this one back in here. Also, dive knives, in my mind, um, actually make pretty decent sailing knives too. So if you find yourself out on the water, maybe think about this sort of knife. And that's about all I have 
on this knife episode for you for now. So if you still have any unanswered questions about knives, shoot me an email with your questions or about anything else for that matter. Contact at masterofnonepodcast.com or you can always get to me through the contact page on the website, masterofnonepodcast.com. Until next time, carry your knives, use your knives, and keep them sharp and pursue your mastercraft. Bye. Theme music for the Master of None podcast is Club Seamus by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Creativecommons.org. If you need some of your own original music, go check out Kevin's other work at his website, Incompetech.com. Incompetech.com.